Hello everyone and welcome to the Early Stages podcast by APX. My name is Søren and I am your host on this podcast where we guide you through everything you need to know as an aspiring founder or newly started business but first steps towards building a successful company. Each episode will focus on one specific topic at a time that can help you as an entrepreneur on your way to success. Today's episode is about disruption, being a disruptor and spotting a market that shouts for it. Let's get started, let's disrupt. So, you have this great vision for a company you want to build and you're excited about starting it, but there is a concern. For your company to become a success, something fundamental in your industry has to change. And maybe there are big players out there with strong interests in keeping the industry as it is. So how can you, with your company, disrupt the market and change dynamics and behaviors? And how do you convince investors to fund something that to them might seem a bit far-fetched? To dive into this exciting topic, my co-host today is Diego Siginitschki, investment manager at APX, Europe's leading investor for startups at the early stages of their ventures. Hi, Diego, and welcome as my co-host on this topic. Hi, hi. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ruin. Thank you, Diego. And it's great to have you with us here today. And I know that in your role at APX, you get to see a lot of different startups pitch their business. And while some of them are obviously spotting a gap in the market, others are the type of startups saying, we believe that we can disrupt industries, we can change the way things are. How often do you actually see that? It's a good question. So I will say um, most of the times we find startups or we find entrepreneurs that do not think that big and that do not think and that they can disrupt industries. But one out of 10 and, and we find this in these this, this companies, right? And, and we have one example here and which is Amora, right? And, and this is, again, our job as investors to find the ones that can really think big and that can really think and disrupt it. Exactly. And that's a good bridge to introducing our panel today because we have two amazing guests with us that know more than a thing or two about disruption. First off, as you just mentioned, Diego, we have Evgenia Polo, who's the founder of Emora, one of the companies that at least APX believed in can definitely disrupt the industry that they are working in. Evgenia, your, your company is creating a digital way to deal with the topic of funeral and the end of life. First of well, welcome to the podcast and can you tell us a little bit about what that means? Yeah, hi everyone. Hi Zoran. Hi Diego. I'm happy to be here and uh, thanks for all the compliments already. Yeah, you basically said it. Specifically, we offer a digital platform in Germany where families and people can do funeral planning and basically organize everything online while they live or also when there is an acute um, case of death in the family, we provide them an alternative to the traditional funeral market where um, customers can book, organize and inform themselves in the digital space without leaving their home. And we take care of all the organization and basically offer a, how we say, a modern and also a more positive approach of how to deal with this topic. Thank you, Evgenia. And we will get back to you and how Emora is trying to disrupt an industry as offline as funerals to being something online and digital. But first, I would like to welcome our second panelist today, uh, Jörg Reinbold, Managing Director of APX. Hi, Jörg. Welcome. Hey, Søren. Hey, everyone. And thank you for listening. 
It's good to have you here, Jörg. Jörg, you, you co-founded the company Alando back in 1999 that was acquired by eBay and became eBay Germany, which you ran as managing director for five years. Would you say it's safe to say that eBay was a disrupting company for trade back then? Yeah, I think we disrupted several um, several things. And we like one thing is uh, the, the whole offline classifieds business was something that we took online. And um, the other thing that we really cared about was that we provided equal opportunity to everyone to participate in a global marketplace, which I still find a little bit romantic, but also super powerful. And today we obviously have many more uh, marketplaces uh, all around us. But like so many other new players, eBay, and in this case eBay Germany, of course started like a startup, one that you worked on. If we look around us today, what are some of the, the companies that, that come to mind for you as more recent disruptors? I would, I would think of someone like Airbnb, Tesla, Spotify for, for B2C and, and for B2B companies, Salesforce, Stripe, Shopify. What, what comes to mind for you as, as companies that have already disrupted our lives in a way? Yeah, I think you mentioned a lot of them. I, I think for me personally, Twitter is also a really great example because they disrupted how we communicate to larger groups because it's it's very accessible. Um, I think also when you look at, for example, SAP from Germany, how they disrupted the way companies are doing their business and that they are not like a, a startup anymore, but still the impact they had on how people work, I think is amazing. And then uh, there's also... Also, uh, companies where we don't know yet how their disruption, how good it is or, or not. So, for example, Facebook and Meta and all the discussions around how good it is for societies around the globe that they exist and their initial idea of, of liberating uh, communication also uh, had its challenges, I would say. But would you say with this example you just gave Meta, Facebook, that there's a chance by now already to say, is this a what kind of disruption is this? I think they disrupted how we connect with each other. And with a lot of consequences, some of them I think are good because you can stay connected with your friends even if you don't see them in person. And other consequences are that they also disrupted the ease of mass manipulation, maybe. And that's for everyone to figure out how they see it. Right. And of course, some companies come in and disrupt markets, but they also disrupt the way we as consumers will have to both act and think. Uh, Jörg, I want to, to get into your experience with all the startups that you've seen as an angel investor, but of course also with APX, because you've seen quite a few pitch decks and, and business models at a super early stage for these companies. Can you give us some of your favorite examples of the most disrupting uh, startups, company visions you've been involved with that either became or did not yet become uh, actual disruptors? Yeah, let me try. The challenge is that... Um Companies that disrupt something usually need a lot of explanation before they disrupted it because um, they have something in mind that is so different from how it is today that you need to explain in, in much detail what their model is about. I can use one example of a company I think that was quite disruptive and is still quite disruptive um, and doesn't need that long of an explanation. That's N26. When we, when we invested in the team, first we thought this might disrupt the way credit cards work. Then together uh, we thought, okay, this might disrupt the way how a bank account works. And then luckily, because everything they, they did worked um, and they got more and more um, investments, 
then they started to disrupt the banking system. And I think this is what they are still doing and what they are going to do. And there's other like new banks around who are disrupting the old traditional banking system. And now I'll use like a more current example. We recently invested in a company called Pigot. And this needs a longer explanation. What they do is they want to get... If the listener would like to get to know Pigot a bit more, they were actually on season two, episode one. Uh, so there they can get a bit more detail on Pigot. True, true. Highly, highly recommended to, uh, to listen to them. So what they do is they want to, to get people out of debt. I think it's very disruptive because there are a lot of companies who whose model it is to get people into debt. Not in a bad way, but when you buy something today on the internet, all the payment providers, they offer like multi-month payment options to you. And this is nothing else but getting you into debt. And I think it's fine if you if you have this under control. But for a lot of people, they can't can't keep this under control. So I think it's a really great idea to, to start a company like Pigot and help people to have their finances under control, to keep the opportunity to run their own lives and to take their lives in their own hand and not be uh, like under the influence of companies who, who just help and uh, not help you, who make you go into debt. And that's obviously also an interesting part of thinking disruption, both as an investor and as a company trying to not just do things differently, but obviously trying to make things better than they than they were. I would like to ask you, Yago, so having seen this amount of, of founders uh, that you have, could you take us through what are some of the characteristics of the founders behind these kind of startups and how is their journey different from those who who set out to, to uh, basically fill a gap in an existing market? I think there's more that, that connects them that, than what separates them. What connects them is they are all able to imagine a different version of the future. And, um, and then the only thing they need to do is to create this future and see how many um, of us want to join their future. So I think that's, that's not, not a difference between the founders. What might be a difference is that some of the disruptive founders feel a very strong urge to stop something or to change something or to to really like make something a lot better where they think it's it could be so much better and then they start what they need to start. I think that's a good bridge to hear from Evgenia and now one of the companies that I think is safe to say are trying to to do things in a way they think it should be and trying to do some, something different for a certain industry. Evgenia from Emora, I wanted to ask you, first of all, of course, feel free to comment on what Jörg just said, but also to, from your case perspective here, you are a perfect example of a company that wants to change an industry that has been quite analog, quite in a certain way. By providing this holistic platform, as you described for the topic end of life, doing this, trying to digitize this, tell us about your motivation behind disrupting such a, I would call it rather sensitive uh, topic and industry. Yeah, regarding Emora, for me personally, it was really the complexity of this topic of end of life and from my uh, previous experiences where I also worked like um, with Rocket Internet with Amorelie like companies which were also looking at the status quo and thinking hey how can we bring it to another stage and another state through digital tools in a way and this is also similar how we came up with Amora so my co-founder she had some personal experiences with death and funeral organization where she realized, okay, 
it should be done easier and better. And I came from the perspective of, wow, that's a crazy opportunity because obviously digitalization, our approach of being individualistic, of doing something special for a person, even if this person is passing away, this all creates a lot of potentials to bring a new approach to the whole industry. And obviously the funeral industry is one of those which are the least digitalized, at least in Germany so far. And out of these many, many thoughts, we came up with the idea to build something which not necessarily solves the problem, but creates opportunities and potentials to deal with the whole topic in a more intuitive, in a more easy, in a more comfortable way. And when I think back to my times or to our times at APX, that was one of our greatest challenge, actually, because everyone was asking, what kind of problem are you solving? You are basically burying people. And we were like, yes, this is correct. We do not solve a certain problem, but we create a opportunity to tackle these challenges in a completely new way. And I think this is not disruption in the sense that the internet was created. Definitely not. But it's something which matches our behavior in the 21st century way better than the traditional approach. And this, again, brings a lot of opportunities to the, to the market, to the business, and also to business development for the next decades, because we are very convinced that not only the way how we deal with the topic of death, but also the way how we will say goodbye to people, how we will remember people in future will change. And I think the way how people will die will radically change in the next century. Maybe one, one follow-up question there. And because from what I'm hearing, in, in, you're talking about timing somehow, right? So it was the right time to disrupt this industry, right? In the, 20, in the, in the 21st century. And, and when I'm, what I'm wondering here is what made you realize that this was the right timing for, and for starting a company and like this? Yeah, it's a very interesting question because somehow we realized it's the right time, but we realized that by realizing that it's very early. So I think it's timing, it's the market analysis and the realization that there is nothing out there which is comparable to Mora. And it's also a lot of user research where we started to talk to people who are 60 plus and where we realized, okay, these people belong to a generation which also knows what WhatsApp is and who are able to write emails and who are able to order stuff online and consume digital services. And I think 10 years ago, this generation was simply in another state. And this is also something which contributed to our opinion that it's the right time to start building something with the goal of in five years, in 10 years, being exactly in the right place. And what is it, maybe the last question here, and, and also Jörg, if you want to answer this one as well, it would be very interesting and to hear your thoughts. What is the role that gut feeling plays in the final decision for you to say, you know, like I have gathered all the information, but now it is the right timing because something in my in myself is telling me this, right? And that I should push forward, right? Even even though it is quite early for starting a business like this. 
for me, it was really two things. First, it was this, whenever I pitched Imora, everyone around me said, oh, wow, if I would knew this or if something like this would be existing, I could have needed it so much. It was super empowering to hear that was on the product service side, something which really drove us to really build Imora. And on my personal perspective, it was really like, there is nothing to lose. Let's try. Everyone has started to try stuff and sometimes really great things got out of that. This one bad joke that I have to make in every of our conversations, there's a retention problem with some of your customers. Indeed. <laughs> and um, <laughs> then yeah, that's actually, the, the second okay. thought I wanted to make is a little bit more intellectual. <laughs> I have a question for you, Jörg, and I was actually going to also invite you to make your joke because I know you're always sitting on that joke when we are, <laughs> when we are talking to, to him more. Jörg, I, I want to ask you here as an investor and also to zoom in on this topic of when you are a company trying to do something radically different compared to what is currently out there. How do you as an investor and your ex experience, how do you assess whether this company can actually change an industry, can actually take something that is currently not the way consumers consume or businesses do their business and make it a success? I think it's the three questions. Why you, why this, why now? And we also don't know. If you knew that this works, what you have in mind, and if you could prove it, then we wouldn't be talking to each other because you could just go to your bank and say, I've got this sure shot idea that I can prove it works. And every euro you give to me, I will turn this euro into one euro ten. You would get all the money of the world to continuously do it <laughs> because that would be like a like the best investment case because it's super sure. Unfortunately, this rarely exists. So when we look at companies and teams, we continuously ask ourselves, will they have the right way to try out and find out if they can do it? And do we trust them at that level with the money that we want to give to them? How good are they in having an idea, turn this idea into hypotheses, explaining how they want to test these hypotheses, create realities, have an understanding of the realities. This is also where a lot of can go wrong when, when like you have a reality distortion and just can't see the more objective reality you should probably see. Could you explain what you mean by reality distortion in good and in bad for, for founders? Yeah, so I think reality distortion in a good way is that you can imagine the world that you want to create. So I guess if we had like two hours time and we would just listen to Evgenia and, and listen to her, how the world will feel what they have in mind is working. This will be a different world. And, and because I had some time with her, I know that this world would feel so much better when it comes to the dimension of we will all die. And it's just a better world when this works. Then the interesting question is how, how do we like include the rest of the world in this world? And how do we move the rest of the world into the world that Imora is imagining. And then the reality distortion sometimes is that the founders are not able to see the results of their actions or investors do not see the results of what the founders are turning into, into reality and what the reality is that they are building. The interesting question from our point, do we trust in the situation and in the assessment of the situation? And is the chance and risk balance so in a way that we want to invest more money into these people 
turning this idea into more of a reality. Sometimes you are thinking of explaining something to someone, but you are thinking so narrow because you are within your universe that sometimes it's just really hard to understand what you mean and abstracting yourself and really describing it in a way that you can pick up people, that you can really talk to people who are not that deep in the, the universe you are at is something which is super crucial also by understanding where you want to go with your startup and also important for you guys from the investor's perspective. So translating your technical vision into a normal language is something I consider more and more important. So we are using easier and easier words to explain stuff because everything else is just too abstract for everyone else. I very much agree. There's also another danger when we look at startups, and that is we must make sure that it's their imagination and their plan and their vision that we think about and not our own idea of what this could be. And um, this is a very nice danger for, for any investor to be in because we obviously we invest extremely early and um, that's why it's important for us to listen very carefully to how you just described it like understand your vision as clearly as possible and understanding what you have in mind and then we might be able to inspire you with some of our brilliant thoughts that we might have because yeah sometimes have them sometimes not but it's super important from an investor's point of view, to look at the founders and their idea and their vision and what they want to turn it into and also help to, to avoid reality distortion at the points where it's not helpful. I think that's, that's super interesting. And I also think that's a, it's a good place actually to end our conversation for today. So I want to thank all of you for, for joining us today. Virginia and Jörg as our panel today and Diego as my co-host. Thanks for being here today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. That's all for today. If you have feedback or topic ideas, send me an email at cern at apx.vc or comment on the episode on social media where we are at APX Berlin. The Early Stages is a podcast by APX produced by WakeWord. Thanks to you for listening. My name is Soren Nielsen and I will be back in two weeks time. We will end as always with a voice message we've received from one startup in the APX portfolio whom we've asked to share one thing they wish they would have known before they started their company. Here's what they said. Hi everyone, I'm Tolga from PromiseQ. We are a deep tech company helping security companies to increase their efficiency in monitoring centers by reducing false alarms with the power of AI and crowd working. One thing I'd wish I'd known before I started my own company is you need to do your research and your homework before you start anything. So make sure that you inform yourself really, really well on various topics, be a generalist and know what you're talking about. Otherwise, people will try to take advantage of you.